is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome into the BearCast on this Tuesday, February the 20th, 2024. A busy show today as some unforeseen news has hit Baylor football on the coaching staff front, and we'll dive fully into that. But welcome in, everybody, to another week and another busy show. I'm Craig Smoke, joined as always by Grayson Grundhafer, both of Sikkim365.com. Also got Garrett Ross behind the scenes as well, and we have some coaching changes to get to. Uh, the effects that that will have on recruiting, uh, the college football playoff today, uh, getting unanimously approved in a vote for the 5-plus-7 format that will begin the next couple of seasons. So five conference champions, highest ranked in the seven at-larges, the new format that is now official as of this morning. We won't so much touch on that because there's bigger fish to fry when it comes to Baylor specifically, so... Grayson, let's get right on into it, man. I guess uh, first things first, before we touch on the news, just uh, I guess from your point of view, how's everything going here as the temps start to rise and we start to feel, I guess, a little bit of what is uh, spring right around the corner? Yeah, I mean, we're getting really close to spring ball starting up, so that's obviously very exciting. And honestly, basketball has been really exciting as well, getting to you know follow this Baylor team as they're really starting to make up some ground um, on the men's side. And then the women's side still just kind of, sticking around you know what I mean they're they're not in the upper echelon of the league but you know still having a a successful season up to this point so that's been fun to track and recruiting you know still going on but it's a dead period right now so uh, that's been kind of on pause for a little bit yes uh, the men with a big win on the court uh, this past weekend and we'll talk about that and the women of course honoring Brittany Griner so that was a cool ceremony and a great honor for her that was overdue. Uh, the reasons as to why it took a little longer, whether it be the head coach there for a little while or whether it be Brittany's off the court or what have you, but uh, beautiful to see uh, the reconciliation, uh, I guess you could say, of the school, the program, and its biggest star ever and one of the biggest stars that particular sport has ever seen. And uh, it sure seemed to be all smiles uh, this past weekend. So we'll get into that as well. But let's start off with the big news Uh, when it comes to Baylor Athletics and Baylor football this week. And by the way, if you haven't already, if you're joining us live on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 YouTube page, which is where we join you every Tuesday at around 11.15, then please hit that like button and that subscribe button. We'd certainly appreciate that. If you're joining us after the fact, uh, we would appreciate you hitting those buttons and uh, helping us out in any way that you can. But uh, the big news to get to and begin today and dive – probably most of this show into is the fact that Baylor, after having made several hires this offseason and the shakeup of the staff and some of that, their call, some of that, just the natural attrition of the offseason and other staffs filling out their uh, coaching positions, uh, all of that occurred, a little bit of both, and Dave Aranda found himself with some hires to make, um, and uh, particularly... Um, you know, when it came to the offensive line, uh, you knew that that was going to be a big one. OC obviously was a huge one. We saw Jake Spavital get hired. We eventually saw the O-line position get filled as well. But it turns out that O-line coach that we got to know 
uh, for just a moment. Uh, we'll never even coach a single down for the Baylor Bears. And one coach who we weren't really thinking too much about because, hey, they're already on staff, uh, is now gone in one fell swoop as well and both to the same place. Kalen DeBoer, new head coach at Alabama, plucks away two Baylor assistants on Monday. Offensive line coach Chris Kapilovich and also – Linebackers coach Christian Robinson, uh, just in a span of a few hours, both of those uh, names plucked away, and now there are two spots to fill in this assistant coaching staff that Dave Aranda already spent the last few months trying to fill out, so no rest for the weary. His job, uh, it just seems he really can't catch a break. Even when things are going well, something inevitably you know, gets thrown into the mix that uh, you weren't expecting, and... Uh, man, Chris Kapilovich won't ever coach it down. Uh, and Christian Robinson, one season at Baylor, and he's now gone as well. Uh, I don't know where you want to start if you want to split them up and kind of go individually. But I guess let's before we go individually, just what was your first reaction when you saw the Kapilovich news? And then were you expecting another move, or did all of a sudden you get blindsided by Christian Robinson as well? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was all a surprise uh, to an extent. So... You know, the Coach Cap thing, that happened uh, late, late in the night on Sunday and then was announced pretty quickly in the morning, um, I believe by Pete Thamel, uh, who reported it. But either way, I mean, that that news happened and you're just kind of sitting there going, wow. I mean, he was only at Baylor, tech, I mean, hired two months out. He wasn't even at Baylor for that long. Um, pretty crazy and, and something that I definitely wasn't expecting, something that I don't think anyone could have foreseen Um and it's just really interesting. It's a situation where Alabama was has been sprinting to try to find uh, their coaching staff, try to fill it out under Kalen DeBoer. And so they went out and found the best offensive line coach they could. And unfortunately for Baylor, um, that was Chris Kapilovic. Well, I guess Kapilovic, I guess. I know you're saying Kapilovic, so not exactly sure. But Coach Cap in general. Uh, either way, I think that this is a big loss for Baylor. I know we're going to dive into that here in a second. The Christian Robinson thing really was something that, honestly, it was one of those things where it just kind of happened because another move happened. And um, what I mean by that is Alabama had their outside linebackers coach hired. Uh, William Inge um, was going to be their outside linebacker coach. He got plucked away by Tennessee. Uh, I think it was later in the afternoon on Monday is when that move happened and was announced. And then I think it was within like an hour or two Christian Robinson um, became the new outside linebackers coach for Alabama. So a little bit of a situation there where he wasn't the top guy uh, for Alabama, but he ends up being the guy that gets the job. And so therefore Baylor's um, left, you know, losing two coaches, one that again, maybe you got to foretell a little bit, but the second just happening happened extremely quick. Yeah. Uh, there was a little bit of heads up, as you mentioned on one hand and then, we were sitting there doing the show yesterday, and all of a sudden the Christian Robinson news dropped and had to do a bit of a double take because I was just like, no, not another guy just like that. And sure enough, uh, a second coach uh, in Christian Robinson joins Chris Kapilovich. And, uh, yeah, there's uh, there's now two spots to fill for Dave Aranda. And I know that uh, I guess Smokey's initial reaction was like, man, this isn't great for Dave Aranda in terms of just it's a bad look because you're trying to build this mindset of we're getting things back on track and I'm taking on more responsibility. And he's already coaching linebackers to an extent and the defense and the heck. I just don't know how he's going to have enough time to do all of this uh honestly with Dave Aranda I I, I think it's going to be very important whoever he hires uh that they can take some of the 
the food off his plate because it's just hard to imagine a head coach doing the head coaching thing, the defensive coordinator thing, and then coaching a position as well and trying to make all of that work. I just don't – all due respect to him, I just don't have a lot of faith in that being the best way for things to, to be managed. But I, I in his spot, I understand that you probably want as much control as you can get. But, my gosh, that's that's asking a lot of anybody. Just to be a D.C., much you know, and a position coach, but you add on the head coaching responsibilities, and um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how he can um, try to finesse this linebackers position into, uh, or you know, uh, I guess it would be inside linebackers, right? Uh, mm-hmm. For Christian yeah. Robinson, how how much food you can you know kind of hand over to somebody else to just take some of the. You know what I mean? Like some of the yeah. weight off of your shoulders, because man, you're you're asking yourself, or you're asking a lot of yourself. Granted, it's all riding on your shoulders, but man, you're gonna need some help lifting this weight. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say we've seen it in college football. Whether it's a Ryan Day who coaches, he is the offense coordinator. He does the play calls. Andy's the head coach. Like, not anymore. Well, not anymore. But he did that for a long time, and they were successful in my eyes. I mean, I, I know they didn't win to the level that they want to win at, but. It has worked um, in the past. Now, I do think that a lot of this is more so what's going on in the offseason. I think Aranda's taking a very hands-on approach to the linebacking group right now. Um, I know he's going to be coaching that a lot during the season as well, but I do think whoever they hire is going to have a huge responsibility with that group um, because he's coaching the entire defense. So there's going to be some give and take there. Um, But I think in the offseason, it's going to be really important that he focuses a lot of his time with that position as obviously they have a a long way to go uh, on on that side of things. And of course, he hired Jake Spavital. He hired a lot of guys who have experience to help run the offense so he's not going to have to you know do much there uh, or at least shouldn't have to but we'll see how it all plays out um they're gonna have to make a good hire here and I will say you know it's not great to lose a coach like coach cap but I will tell you you know when he was hired Baylor spent up to get him Baylor probably put a lot of money as far as you know a buyout goes you know most of these coaches wanted guaranteed multiple year contracts because of the situation that they were walking into as far as you know Dave Aranda kind of being on the hot seat going into uh, this 2024 season so I think they have some money there to actually go out and spend and potentially poach a coach similar to what Alabama did uh, to Baylor this time around I think they're going to and I think it's going to be very important as this offensive line just simply can't have a season like they did last year uh, going into 2024. Yeah, you mentioned Ryan Day calling plays. Well, he's handing that over to Chip Kelly now because it wasn't working at Ohio State. They started losing to Michigan. Michigan goes wins a national title, and all of a sudden uh, there's a lot of pressure, and he has to hand over play calling duties to uh, to old Chipper there. Um, Lincoln Riley is one of the few guys that still does that. It's very rare on defense to have a coach also coordinating and calling plays, much less also coaching linebackers or whatever. Um, and I, I don't know what other combinations there could be, but it's, it's not – not uh, the the norm uh, on this level of college football these days. So, I don't know. I just think that's a lot of roles on one guy's plate when you're already on a hot seat. And um, certainly can't imagine he was uh, expecting this uh, and this timing of it all um, with both guys being uh, in one fell swoop the way that they were. So, uh, I guess uh, one of the other things was with Dave Aranda. I mean, do you feel like this is a sign that – 
uh-oh, the writing's on the wall, or is this just Alabama's bigger, better, more money, and more stable because they've got a first-year head coach, and it's just an obvious move to make? I said on the show yesterday, like, it's Alabama, and I, I get that there's probably some Baylor fan out there who graduated and is like, I'd stay loyal to my alma mater. Well, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to Alabama. Like, sorry, buddy, but I'm going to Alabama. To me, it's that simple, but do you think for those who – want to look further into it of like, uh-oh, they don't believe in Dave Aranda or this is just another sign. Do you chalk up these moves to that at all or is this just, hey, Alabama came calling? You know, I think that you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier. The stability part, I think it is hard to pass up on. And Kalen DeBoer just got a boatload of money to go be the next coach at Alabama to replace Nick Saban. And yes, the expectations are going to be very high, but I do think he will get time, right? Maybe not Maybe not infinite amount of time, but I do think he will get time to um, try to right the ship and try to bring them, continue to bring them um, potential championships, compete in the SEC, all those good things. And so I think for for Coach Cap, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? You get to go to a place where there's a lot of stability, um, probably a lot of money. You know, honestly, I think he probably got paid very, very well to go there. And I think just in general, you know, you mentioned it. I mean, it's a better situation. You know, regardless of if you're a Baylor fan or not, I mean, to go to the SEC, lost stability there, uh, go to a coaching staff that's just been hired, uh, pretty good stability there, go to a Blue Blood program, um, stability. I, I think all of that and, and obviously being at the upper echelon of college football matters a lot as well. All right, so let's unpack each individual one. Chris Kapilovich uh, was hired just a couple of months ago uh, from Michigan State. At the time, there was a lot of Michigan State fans that were like, sorry, Baylor, uh, and really cheering on the move, quite frankly. And I know that that's just, in some cases, sour grapes, but uh, I saw that when he was hired at Alabama. I saw Michigan State folks like, man, Baylor lucked out, so I don't know. We'll never know. He'll never coach it down here. He, he was not even around long enough to coach a practice. So uh, who knows if Baylor caught a break in the long run. Obviously, Dave Aranda thought high enough of him, and that's more than good enough for me. Um, but... When it comes to the offensive line, you moved on from Eric Mateos. You've changed the offenses now. Jake Spavital is your OC. And I just, I hate it because it's like the last two months of just teaching. And I know, thankfully, they weren't in the full array of classroom and teaching the ins and outs of the offense and all that. Last time we talked to him was probably like a month ago, and they were just starting to even meet the players, really, from his point of view. But you've just spent a month getting to know the players. So there's that that was just a waste of time, quite frankly. Um, And now you're going to have to reset that with someone else in a short amount of time. But uh, from an offensive line standpoint, why does this matter? Why does this matter in recruiting, if at all? And uh, what does the next guy in line need to know about the situation that he's walking into? Right. So, I mean, first and foremost, I think it's important that we kind of talk about the players really quick. Um, you got to remember Eric Mateos was let go. He left, however you want to put it. Um, no longer at Baylor. You go out, you hire Coach Cap, and now you've had two offense line coaches in a matter of, what, two months, two and a half months, and now you're going to have a third. And that is really tough. I mean, tough for stability, tough for these players to really um, rally behind a coach when they kind of just had to do that with Coach Cap, and now you got to do it again. And so I think this is, you know, one of those situations that I I think it's important to mention them. It's important to mention uh, Kurt Daniker, Omar Egbedian, who were two transfers from the transfer portal. Um, Their lead recruiter was Cap, and now they're sitting there, you know, at Baylor. And while I, I think, 
you know, you can say, oh, they wanted to be at Baylor regardless. That's fine and all. But for a transfer, a lot of it is the coaching staff that you're walking into, the situation that you're walking into, and those things have changed now for those guys. So I think that's important. Um, Commits-wise, they did get a commitment from Jamin Brown in the 2025 class as well um, while uh, Cap was at Baylor. So that's going to be something to watch going forward. So that's kind of the first part of this. The second part is the coaching side. And I know Michigan State fans, you know, they really piled on uh, the tweet that I had when uh, he was initially hired saying he's terrible, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But let's just remember his head coach was absolutely dreadful. Mel Tucker was fired. They found a way to, to not pay him because he was so bad for that program. Secondly, the only successful year they had at Michigan State was because they had a great running game behind a very good offensive line and a really good running back in Kenneth Walker. So um, let's just be clear on that. You know, there was a lot of momentum there, and it was basically because of their running game. And then after that, it was just Mel Tucker just not doing a good job there. And so I have an issue when you say he's a bad coach when you're kind of handicapped by not having a good head coach at all, and we saw that bear out. Yeah, the Mel Tucker thing is a little more complex, though, to be fair. That was a Brenda Tracy situation that got him fired from Michigan State. That had nothing to do with on the field. But, now, on the field, results are what allowed Michigan State to say, yeah, let's go right. ahead and cut the ties. But that he wasn't fired because of on-field necessarily. He was probably mm-hmm. going to get a little bit more. I mean, dude, he got fired because of the Brenda he Tracy did, but situation. He was, he, well, that contract re- was not going to allow them to fire him at that moment right. in time. They got, they, out, they, for, they got out of the buyout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why he got fired. Now, if you want to say he was going to get fired in a year, that's fair. But that wasn't why he got fired straight up. That was a that was a that was that was a great out for them because it wasn't going necessarily the way you expected on the field. But he wasn't getting fired because of just purely on the field that timing, the, the way that it worked out. Okay, but we can agree he was not doing well on the field. Yes, but, yeah, okay. Right. Sure. And and I think his roster was not talented enough to compete, and I think that I just feel like it's unfair to point a entire situation on an offensive line coach. Well, when, that's fair. It's also jaded fans who just lost a coach that have sour grapes. So, I correct. mean, that, that's got to be taken into account, yeah. And now he's getting hired by Alabama, which should also speak to kind of the situation that Alabama was in, but also the fact that maybe Baylor made a good hire and maybe he's not a bad coach. We'll see if, how it plays out. I have a feeling he's going to be pretty good at Alabama, so we'll see what happens. But uh, I just think that's a little unfair, and they've been doing it multiple times. So I understand what you're saying, like, any situation is going to turn on a coach that, I mean, Baylor did with Eric Mateos as well after he was really good for a year. Um, and then everyone started saying, ah, not a good offense line coach anymore. Who knows? We'll see how that bears out in the future. But I think it's a very similar situation. But I think in general, any coach getting hired by Alabama at this point with a first-year coach, that's a pretty big deal in my eyes. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, good for him. Uh, good for him that he's got this job and sour grapes from Baylor fans or whatever. But, I mean, just I don't really care too much about that, honestly, is, is the, the fan point of view on whether Chris Kapalovich was a great hire or not. I, I'm more concerned about, like, what does this mean for Baylor at this point? Right, so, and so I think it speaks. So my point on all of that is just the fact that I do think he was a pretty good coach and that Baylor does have something to replace. Sure. Him. And they're going to have to make a good hire. Now, my viewpoint on this is that they are are going to go out, look for the best coach they can. I think they're going to have the money to actually do that. We'll see if they can get it done, though, because like many people have mentioned, it's February. Guys are with their team now. They're getting ready for spring football. You know, there's going to be some loyalty that comes into play here. Um, the question is how much, and, and then who, you know, who's Baylor going to actually target? Um, 
it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. Dave Rand has got to make another really good hire, which it's kind of been a off season for making, trying to make good hires. Yeah, he's been a very busy man. And so as you point out there, there are some players that were brought in, uh, and now I guess they're going to have to kind of look around the room and see with a month to go until spring ball, if this is still the place they want to be, or they're going to get some phone calls about maybe taking a trip to Tuscaloosa or, I mean, how is that all that going to work? Um, when it comes to your guys who are influenced by uh, him being on staff. And thankfully, it's not like he's a 10-year veteran of the staff and like the whole thing's going to fall apart like a house of cards. Uh, again, he was here for all of two months. But as you just pointed out, there was some effect already on what they had grabbed through the transfer portal and uh, in 2025 uh, to some extent. So, uh, yeah, there's uh, at least some shrapnel that you could see roster-wise. But I guess that remains to be seen for right now Christian Robinson meanwhile on the other side and and we'll see I mean Kapilovich I mean again that's fans are typically not really touting the guy who's deciding to leave them um, especially when things aren't going well like they aren't going well right now in East Lansing Um, so yeah I think it does say something about uh, him that Kalen DeBoer a guy who just played for a national title and who's now the biggest program in the entire sport wants him you don't go hire some bum off the street so um, you know, he can he can show everybody in the long run, but we'll just never see whether or not he could prove anybody wrong here in Waco, which is really what uh, the concern is right now here at this table because that program down the road is in desperate need of a bounce back, and this isn't great when you're finally settled in and now you're getting two coaches plucked away out of nowhere. So um, on the Christian Robinson side of things, I think the recruiting ties and the roster runs a little deeper because he's been around for – a full year longer. Um, so um, now knowing what we know about Christian Robinson and the effect that he's had on recruiting, it's been pretty substantial in some areas. So what does this mean for the roster, for recruiting, uh, for all, the team, uh, all those different things uh, from the Christian Robinson point of view? Right. So, I mean, his impact as far as the uh, 2022 roster, you know, wasn't really there. 2023 really either because he showed up, I think it was December 30th um, when he was hired. So, he didn't have a ton of time to recruit um, for that 2023 class. So you look into the season, things didn't go very well uh, for the linebacker position. They did get Mike Smith Jr., and then he got hurt five games into the season. So didn't really get to see kind of what his year would have been like. Um, but if you really want to look at his recruiting impact, it's 2024 landing Kylan Reed, uh, who signed in the 2024 class. And then, of course, Juco linebacker Keaton Thomas. So two guys this past signing day. Uh, enrolled at Baylor, signed with Baylor, um, and are expected to be good players for Baylor. So you see that part. You also see the 2025 recruiting. Um, Baylor is really going to focus on that 2025 linebacker group, and I I truly do think that this um, is going to have to make them not necessarily make up ground, but they're definitely going to have to bring in someone who can recruit because Christian Robinson was doing a very good job of that, at least initially in this 2025 class. So you mentioned the recruiting side. I also think a guy that a lot of the coaches just love to be around, the players love to be around. I think his impact there is very important to mention as well. Um, and, and I think in general, you're kind of looking at it where, okay, Dave Randa's coaching the linebackers, so you feel feel like there's going to be at least some upgrades there. So whoever they bring in, they really need someone, in my eyes, who can recruit um, and also just come and be a young guy who can learn um, with Aranda, grow with Aranda, and also, you know, obviously assume a lot of responsibilities when Aranda doesn't have time to just be focusing on linebackers. So they got some ground to make up here. I, I do think Christian Robinson was a good coach, a good fit. I don't think it's an impossible guy to replace, uh, 
by any means. And I also think in general, the writing was kind of on the wall that he was going to go back to the SEC. He had coached at five different SEC schools uh, since graduating from Georgia, where he played uh, his college football. So, I mean, it, it was kind of, it was going to happen eventually. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, I mean, he was at Auburn. He was at uh, Georgia, as you mentioned. He's at Florida. He's been all over the place yeah. and now at Alabama. So, uh, good luck to those guys. I mean, can't say I knew either one of them at this point. It's kind of just a revolving door these days uh, when it comes to the coaching staff. And when you're around long enough, that's just sort of what it becomes. And and certainly these last few years for the Bears, that's uh, sort of felt like the case. There were little pockets of time, like Rule early on, had like a good three, four years where the staff was pretty stable. But you still had one or two guys here and there. Um, but with uh, this staff, it's been a lot of movement these last couple of years. And just when you thought you had kind of started to settle down a little bit, boom, here comes Alabama and Kalen DeBoer uh, to hire away a couple of coaches. So Baylor on the hunt now for another offensive line coach and on the hunt as well for an inside linebackers coach. And we will see how quickly they can move on that. Any idea on any names to throw out there, any directions to look? I mean, it's not really a position coach hot board typically. I mean, maybe if you're doing that for coordinators, but – it's just the timing sucks. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how else to put it. You uh, thankfully don't have to worry about signing day, but it's just like now that it's post signing day, everybody was finally starting to settle in um, outside of Alabama and just those jobs affected with the very late coaching cycle changes. Um, but, you know, there was going to be a domino effect there somewhere, and it just so happened that Waco, Texas got hit by that um, out of nowhere, really. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess a couple guys that I'll, I'll just kind of throw out there. Um, Steve Farmer, who's that, who just recently got hired by Louisiana. I know he was kind of – there were connections there with uh, the Baylor job, and he coached at Syracuse and Texas Tech before getting this job this offseason. Would he leave kind of immediately <laughs> after getting a new job? Maybe. Uh, Jordan Shoemaker at Texas State would make a lot of sense. Um, kind of a, a rising coach, um, Matt Maddox at UTSA. Those are kind of some of the more realistic options that I've looked around for. I also, Missouri's offense line coach, Brandon Jones, um, would be a very intriguing one as well. I believe he played at Texas Tech. Um, so there's some Texas ties there. But I think the, the three that I mentioned before would make a lot of sense for a variety of reasons, whether it's going from group of five to power five or um, just trying to find a different situation. I, I think they could make um, some sense. But again, it's so early. I mean, this just happened. I do think this will happen quickly, uh, but I also think it's been a day. So, you know, we're kind of going to have to wait, sit back, and see. Um, But I do think that position is going to be the priority is they need an offense line coach going into the spring. I I don't know how, like, this can't last long in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, no, you you definitely have to have an O-line coach, I mean, for spring football, and especially throwing in a new offense as well. I mean, that's just, uh, I don't know, Uh, you're, you're... You've had some unique times in the past when it came to O-line when, like, Sean Bell was basically having to coach O-line because George DeLeon couldn't walk. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still had DeLeon's, like, eyes on things, and you had Matt Rule, and you had guys who could pitch in and help out here and there. And I'm sure you got some extent of that well, here, but you, you can't not have an O-line coach. Yeah, so they've got to they've gotta book it and, and figure out uh, – Figure out what to do next. Yeah, and I do want to mention, you mentioned that kind of help, the support and things like that. It's also important to remember Jared Anderson, who is the tight ends coach, coached a lot of offensive line at TCU. Um, mm-hmm. So he's a guy who has coached, he's been a coordinator, he's coached multiple positions. I think he'd be an interesting one as maybe a backup option, or at least you have a, a guy on your staff who you feel like can do the job if you just... I. 
I guess just run out of luck trying to find the right guy. But again, I don't I don't foresee that. I think he's going to compliment whoever the coach is, but I don't think he's going to be the offense line coach, at least not at this time. I also want to mention at linebacker, don't really have a list of candidates in mind. Linebacker coach is very, very hard to kind of figure out, I would say. You're looking for connections and things like that. But I will say uh, Weston Glazer, who they brought in as a uh, – analysts uh, did coach uh, the defenses at Northwestern State and Campbell as a defensive coordinator so keep that in mind he is on the roster maybe or on the staff so maybe that is a guy that you could elevate to coach linebackers potentially Um, again I think they'll probably look on the outside but just something to keep in mind as all those analyst hires were made and there are some guys with some experience coaching offensive line and linebacker so there's a little bit on what was a uh, not so fun situation to arise on Monday and really late Sunday night for Baylor football. Now needing an O-line coach after you just hired one a couple months ago and a uh, linebackers coach after hiring one just a year ago. So Christian Robinson, not a huge surprise like we made mention of. He was an SEC guy through and through. So Alabama comes calling like I don't fault anybody for that um, with cap uh, on the O-line. I mean, was, wasn't even around long enough to probably even shot the Magnolia. So, uh, you know, what what are you missing there? We'll never know. Um, and if the Michigan State folks were right, then Baylor lucked out. Uh, if they're wrong and that was just sour grapes, like at least part of it was, then um, Baylor missed out on maybe having a really great O-line coach. We'll see when Alabama plays this year how, how effective their O-line is, but they've got a number of changes going on over there. Um, and so they just happened to, to reach into the – and cross the, the streams over here, and uh, that's unfortunate because now we've got more coaching hires to talk about, which I guess from a content standpoint is a good thing, but man, from a, just wanting a little bit of peace of mind and being able to take a deep breath before spring ball point of view, uh, that's just not in the cards for Dave Aranda these days. Uh, there is no rest for the weary, and so back to hiring coaches, uh, just like he spent a lot of time doing right after the season was over with. Um, I guess anything else from a football standpoint really – um, other than that, I know Mac Rhodes uh, joined us last week, talked a lot about just the greater changes going on in college football. I know he had an interview with the Waco trip talking about NIL and uh, various topics that he, he's typically touched on with us. Um, uh, anything that's come out to you in the last few days that's uh, football mention worthy? No, no. I mean, this was the most important stuff. I know, you know, we mentioned the Gabe Hall going to the combine thing last week. Yeah. That's important as, you know, draft season rolls around. But there hasn't been too many, you know, news and nuggets going on. I will say, um, you know, on the recruiting front, they're going to have to solidify some things now, losing these two coaches. So the 2025 class, they're going to kind of have to wait. I mean, Baylor's got three offense line commits in that class right now. So they're going to have to get a coach in who um, is also going to have to go and build those relationships. So that's kind of the, the thing at the forefront along along with obviously these hiring decisions, which are going to be extremely important and vital if Baylor's going to have a good 2024 season. You know who's coached O-line before? Sean Bell has coached <laughs> O-line before. What if you give it? Oh, wait. No, never mind. Been there, done that, and oh, yeah, he's already off to uh, to Houston Pastures. But no, uh, just remember that was the last time there was kind of a debacle on the O-line was when he was like in out as coach and the whole daily on things, bringing up daily on brought back all those memories. And uh, that was just a, a unique time to be sure. Yeah. And the wick line hire did not go well. No. I mean, there, there's been 
some hits and misses. The Mateos thing, everything was thought to be stabilized, and then now, you know, it's kind of falling apart. So, you know, you got to make a good hire here again. And Aranda has shown he can, but, you know, another another big one coming up and and at a late and not ideal time period. No, it's uh, it's very much not ideal. They've got, uh, what, three weeks till spring ball starts, I believe, three weeks. So... There you go. We'll see what happens there. But, yeah, now on the hunt for a pair of assistant coaches and uh, good luck to uh, those on their way to Tuscaloosa. Uh, Meanwhile, basketball-wise, still a lot of fun stuff going on there. Scott Drew and the Baylor men, a borderline top-10 team in the country right now. And uh, right there in the thick of things when it comes to the Big 12 standings, no matter when they've kind of dipped like they did earlier on in conference play, and they had the three-game losing streak, had the just brutal loss to Kansas that was definitely one that you felt like got away. But outside of that, they've won five out of their last six, and uh, they're sitting right there uh, in the thick of things when it comes to the Big 12 championship race. Um, Not quite on top, but uh, not sitting far back as Houston, with their big win last night over Iowa State, is now 10-3. Uh, Iowa State drops to nine and four, and then there's Baylor at eight and four, sitting in third place right now. Kansas at eight and five, TCU Tech both at seven and five. So uh, Baylor right there, and with the uh, opportunity here over the next few weeks to uh, make a move, Grayson. I mean, they are right here in the uh, in the midst of it all. But uh, you've got the, the wins last week over Oklahoma. And then going on the road and beating what's a pretty lowly West Virginia team. They're just they're in a funk. They need to, to get to the offseason, quite frankly, West Virginia does. But uh, you beat them on the road, and now tonight you hit uh, the road again. And this time going the opposite direction as far as the United States of America goes. You went, and went out east uh, this past weekend. Now you're heading more west and going to Provo, Utah for a matchup with BYU. And then... Uh, Well, a a big one. Later on this week, the top team in the conference and one of the top teams in America, those Houston Cougars in Waco for what should be an electric atmosphere, especially if Baylor wins tonight uh, against BYU. I do feel like you'll still see a great atmosphere when Houston rolls into town, but... You don't want to like lose the game right before and you know kind of take away some of the the air out of the tires. But man, that ought to be a, a crazy atmosphere this weekend. But uh, Baylor basketball, couple wins last week. Uh, that's a, a nice bounce back from losing to Kansas, and now a couple of big games this week starting the night in Provo. Right, and I mean they beat BYU earlier this year, eighty-one to seventy-two, here at the Foster Pavilion, and and that was a really nice win for Baylor. It was uneasy; it was a close game throughout. BYU is a good team, um, but this really feels like I, you know, I hate calling games must wins. Um, you know, as far as for a program or for um, a season, obviously for this season, it's kind of a must win if you want to win the Big Twelve. Um, in my eyes, you you kind of got to go in and take care of business here, but. To me, for a program, if you want to be the kind of program that consistently wins the Big 12 every year, consistently is thought of at the top, and we've seen this with Kansas for years, where they just find ways to win these tricky road games, and then they don't lose at home, you got to win games like this. And and this just feels like a BYU team that is ripe to get beat. I mean, they just lost Oklahoma State by double digits. They gave up 93 points. Oklahoma State's uh, got a coaching change on their horizon as well. And they gave up 93 points to them. Uh, They gave up 88 to UCF in Provo. They lost to Oklahoma by 16 points. I, I just, this team is starting to sink a little bit. 
And this just feels like an opportunity for Baylor to really go in, get a huge road win, and then set themselves up for a potential run at winning the Big 12 championship, which is still in their sights. They've already beaten Iowa State. If they beat Houston on Saturday, if they beat BYU, so if they do both, they'll be at the top of the standings. And they still get Kansas at home. They still have some tricky games, but you've put yourself in a great position if you're able to get all those things done. And I know that's a lot to ask, but... I think in a league where you're at 14 teams now and you're given a situation where you have the top two teams, Houston and Iowa State, you only had to play them in your home building. It really gives you an advantage over a lot of the other teams in the conference. So we'll see if Baylor can get the job done, but I do think that this game matters a lot. It's a game that I I feel like Baylor should win if they're truly a top, you know, two team in the Big 12 or a top two or three seed in the tournament, probably a top two seed. They need to go in and get this done. And so we'll see if they're able to do that. Right now, Bracketology has Baylor as a three seed pretty much across the board. If they go out and beat BYU and then beat Houston this week, I think that'll jump them right up to the two seed line. Well, it would help to have Jaden Nunn uh, continue to play the way that he's played of late, was named the Big 12 Men's Basketball Player of the Week, also named the Big 12 Newcomer of the Week after the wins over uh, WVU, and also Oklahoma last week. So a nice set of honors there for Jaden Nunn, who um, is uh, is the man who sweeps the the awards this week. So uh, that was good to see. And, um, man, going to need his contributions uh, to continue uh, that way to hope to to get the double dip this week. I mean, tonight is a lot more manageable than what's coming up, but you got to worry about tonight first. And uh, BYU is capable of beating you if you're not mm-hmm. careful, especially in, uh, in Provo. So that's... Uh, that's a road test, and those things are always tricky. You just never know which uh, group's going to show up. Yeah, and I mean, BYU's a, the number 16 team in the country, according to Ken Palm, and they're a top 11 team, according to the net. Like, they're a good team. I think their metrics are a little better than they actually are, but I do think they're squarely a top 20, top 25 type team that is 13-2 and two at home. I mean, that they are very good at home, and it's going to be a test, and obviously Saturday is going to be a huge test for Baylor as well against Houston. Uh, I'm curious when they're going to get Langston Love back. I'm curious when they get him back and how that kind of shakes things up a little bit, but you're exactly right. I mean, the way Jaden Nunn's been playing, uh, to get Jacoby Walter going last game for 23 points, I I think is huge as well, Um, and a lot of guys played well in that game against West Virginia, but I think getting those two guys continuing to go, continuing to shoot the basketball with confidence is going to be huge for this team as they move forward, even once they get Langston Love back. They need those guys to continue to perform the way they have. No doubt. So uh, the men sitting in pretty good spot right now, uh, right there within striking distance. And shoot, if the week goes well enough for you, then, man, you're right there uh, at the top of the standings. And, uh, man, business is booming. So a big, big week ahead of Scott Drew and the Baylor men. And what an atmosphere, again, that should be. Uh, coming up uh, this weekend against Houston at the Foster Pavilion. So very much looking forward to that. What kind of reviews have you heard of? uh, Have you gone and checked out Foster? And, uh, I mean, what have you kind of taken away so far? Because now it's become normal that it's just here and it's Mm -hmm. the thing. And the the newness is not gone because it's still not even finished yet. But um, just the... I guess the eyes have like kind of narrow. Like there's not the bulging eyes of like, oh my god, it's brand new, and everybody's taking it in. Everybody's kind of found out their sort of the, the rhythm of it all, and and kind of what's working, what's still to be fixed, and what 
all is on the horizon and those types of things, but what are the reviews you've heard so far from uh, Foster Pavilion year one? Yeah, so I still haven't been yet. I will be there for the Kansas game on March 2nd, so that'll be my first time in the building, Um, but I've heard great things. I mean, I've heard it's much louder, uh, which is to be expected uh, than the Farrell Center, Um, and I think that's the most important thing. The environment's a lot better. I know people have issues with, you know, how many students are allowed in the building. Things get, like, I think the Houston game, it took four minutes for the student tickets to get sold out. And so people are griping about that. I understand that. You want to have as many students in the building as possible. Um, You know, I think in general, people have been upset about the cameras, you know, whatever. We'll see how that plays out. I've gotten used to it by now uh, after watching the games on TV. But I think in general, it's a great environment. And everything I've heard pretty much has been positive outside just a few little things here and there. Yeah, there's definitely the camera angles that were the big bugaboo um, from the outset, but I don't know. Yeah, part of me's kind of gotten used to that. I still think you've got to uh, improve that as best yeah. you can this off season. But again, nothing can change until the off season arrives because you just can't really get in there and tear anything up if need be or move things around while you've got uh, games to plan for. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, it's been uh, a fun breath of fresh air, and I think it certainly. Uh, provided something new entertainment-wise, but also uh, just beauty-wise, a great facility, and uh, also home court advantage-wise. I think that's definitely um, a situation where you've gotten your your money's worth so far in, in terms of having that home court advantage and having that uh, unique atmosphere that was missing for so many years at the Farrell Center. You just you tried different things. Maybe there were some moments here or there when it got to like peak Farrell Center, but it seems like it's happened with regularity uh, with Foster Pavilion. So the right move to downsize and uh, just need to put some uh, finishing touches on it this offseason, I suppose. But, yeah, that Houston game is going to be absolutely massive. Uh, Meanwhile, at the Foster Pavilion this past weekend, quite the ceremony as Brittany Griner, a Baylor legend, made her way back to town to have her jersey retired, had a whole to-do, a lot of social media activity from – the Baylor women's basketball account documenting a lot of it. I uh, got to see her involved with practice and getting to meet the team and obviously a lot of interactions with Nikki Collin. And then finally the big moment of seeing her jersey raised, but uh, seemed to be all smiles, seemed to be very positive. I saw where Kim Mulkey was asked in a uh, post game at LSU about it, and she was very quick, like good for her, was like all she said. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had a little smile on her face and – I don't know. You can't can't tell with her, but uh, I think that there's probably some genuine sentiment of that, and then you know probably a little smart ass too. I mean, let's just be honest about the situation. Uh, but regardless, uh, I did see that comment, so I was just like, okay, I took note of that. But it seemed to be um, from just the the Nikki Collin, Brittany Griner, the team point of view, uh, they all had a lot of fun this past weekend, and it was a lo- honor that was long overdue. Obviously, various things, life got in the way. Uh, these past few years, but the relationship is healing, and I know there's still going to be bad blood from what Brittany said when she was like 20 to Kate Fagan, you know, in ESPN, but uh, I don't fault her as much for that, and I certainly don't hold it over her head a decade later when she's obviously grown up a little bit, and everybody has, and things have changed, and people have gotten wiser, and it's just a way different time period than that kid who was complaining about how she was treated and I think there was also a little manipulation that was going on in that article at the time Uh, but regardless 
I think uh, bygones are bygones, and um, it's just great to see that that relationship is healthy as it as it has been um, in years, and that uh, the best basketball player in your program's history and one of the best athletes, period, in school history is getting the rightful honors that they deserve. And uh, I thought that was great this past weekend. I agree. This is just great for the whole program. I, I think this was the right move. This is a great move. I, I'm very happy that this happened. Um, for Nikki Collin, for Brittany Griner, for just everyone to be able to move on and move forward, right, and, and yeah. actually have optimism about the future Um relationship I think is just extremely important and something that's really cool like you mentioned one of the best athletes in Baylor history uh, the best women's basketball player uh, at Baylor I think it is a very deserved honor and was very cool to see kind of all the you know the show before you know all just everything that went into it was very very cool to to watch and now you know as far as the team goes you know you look at their final stretch here I mean this Baylor women's basketball team has a chance to you know Maybe go four and zero, but at least they should go three and one. If if they're able to do that, I mean, twenty two and seven, that would be a pretty nice finish to the year. Eleven and seven uh, in conference play. Uh, currently, they're a six seed according to bracketology. If they're able to finish, you know, three and one down this stretch, maybe win a game or two uh, in the conference tournament, I think they could get up to maybe the five seed line, which would be really really nice for this team and actually give them a shot at making a little bit of noise in March. Yeah, I don't think there's like giant expectations, but certainly the expectation is to be competitive and be in the mix and uh, be in the tournament and, you know, hopefully have something to say in the Big 12 Conference Tournament before you even get to the the big one. But, yeah, I had the uh, blowout win over Texas Tech, which was nice to see when you're honoring Brittany Griner. You just, you know, the last thing you want to see is you're honoring somebody and then you go get beat on your home court. That just puts a damper on things. So they didn't leave any doubts and uh, whooped up pretty good on Texas Tech this past Sunday. So everything was was all rosy and, and nice for that. Now, they did drop the uh, previous contest uh, last Wednesday to Oklahoma on the road. Frustrating there to lose by 11 to the Sooners, who are a top 25 team. Uh, so it was a one-in-one week for you, but you did end with the win so now it's Kansas on Wednesday at Foster Pavilion and then you will head to Morgantown on Saturday uh, for a meeting with another top 25 team number 22 West Virginia so those are the opponents this week and then next week travel to Cincinnati and then come back home for the regular season finale against Oklahoma State so four games to go here in the regular season for Nikki Collin and the Bears and um, number 22, West Virginia, this Saturday on the road. But up first, Kansas, Wednesday night in Waco. Yeah, and it's been loss, win, loss, win for the last yep. 10 games. It's just been back Yo-yo. and forth. They really need to break that trend. They get Kansas, who absolutely clobbered them to you know at early in Big 12 play. And really, I think that was their first loss of the year, actually. Yeah, it was. And it was kind of the game that set forth this motion of them struggling in Big 12 play. And so a great opportunity to get some redemption here. Kansas is 8-6, on the season. They are fine. They're not very good. They're fine. And, and that's a game Baylor should win, especially on their home court. You mentioned the West Virginia game. That's going to be tough. West Virginia is 22-3, but Baylor has beaten them this year. So something to keep in mind there. And then you mentioned the last two against Cincinnati uh, and Oklahoma State. Two teams that are in the bottom five of the league this year. Two games that Baylor should win. So, good opportunity here, but they got to take advantage of it. Yes, they do. Uh, so, uh, there's basketball for you. Uh, great week for Jade Nunn and for the Baylor men. Uh, for the Baylor women, highlighted by the Brittany Griner jersey retirement and a win on Sunday to 
punctuate that even further. So some good moments there for hoops. But now uh, it's the nitty-gritty, getting down to the last few games of the conference season and regular season, and the Big 12 basketball tournament is uh, right around the corner. Also got a lot of spring sports starting up and getting underway as well. Not great on the diamond for uh, either softball or baseball this past weekend. So we'll we'll just wait and talk about them a little bit later on when things are f- more fun to talk about. But, yeah, softball ran into uh, Tennessee and uh, and baseball uh, looking for that first win. They also ran into Tennessee. And they ran yeah. into Tennessee too, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was a, a little bit of hurt coming from the, the Vols there. But, yeah, the Diamond Sports We'll revisit at some point, uh, but uh, anything before we go into the mailbag here? No, nothing really. I, I'm really hoping that this Baylor baseball team can turn it around a little bit and, and just show, you know, I know that there were signs of optimism, but you got to go out and you got to win games. And so we'll see if they're able to do that. Softball had some moments this weekend, so there's. I'm still a little optimistic that they'll have a pretty nice year, but the baseball side, um, they're going to have to get better in a hurry. Yeah, I mean, softball's at least won some games already. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the Tennessee situation, uh, getting a game canceled and not being able to at least get that one opportunity to, to get a win and having dropped your first two against them, you get swept, a little mini sweep. Uh, so that wasn't fun. Uh, but that's also the number two team in the country. Yeah. So uh, not that big of a deal in the long run. And you did get uh, a couple of wins over uh, top 25 team in Louisiana Lafayette prior to that. So uh, you started off well, but then you ran into the number two team in the country. So uh, not a, a big concern there just yet, but they'll, they'll have a lot on their plate coming up here. You got uh, Oregon, the number 14 team in the country. You got Notre Dame coming up in uh, the tournament they're about to play in as well. So that's going to be uh, some nice competition and uh, nice travel opportunities for them early on. But for baseball, yeah, I don't really know what to expect um, outside of you just you ex- assuming and expecting them to be improved. I know Levi Caraway will have reporting on them throughout the season. I haven't been able to talk to him. I know that he was optimistic about some of the changes that they had made, but he's also realistic in, um, you know, the situation that they're – they're uh, they're in right now. It's just uh, man, it's going to take a lot of hard work and some elbow grease. And I know they've applied a lot of that so far, but um, I don't know. Just not their weekend in Arlington at the uh, the Shriners Classic as they go zero for three to start the year and against some big name teams. But um, still, you you hope that things are a little bit better this year, and it remains to be seen. Yeah, and I mean losing to Nebraska when you get the kind of performance that they got from Mason Marriott is not great. Like, they had an awesome performance from him. I think he was the Big 12 Pitcher of the Week, and they still lost. That that one was really tough. The other two, very understandable. I, I think Tennessee and was the other one Oregon? Oregon, Oregon. Yeah. Those are two good programs. But the Nebraska one, when you get that kind of effort, that's one I, I think, looking back, they're going to feel like they should have won. Yeah, so look at Lamar tonight, actually, at Baylor Ballpark, and then Indiana comes to town for a weekend series. So I haven't checked the weather, but I'd imagine it'll probably be pretty nice weather. It feels like we finally turned the corner, um, yeah. although that means there's probably a winter storm coming <laughs> in about three days. But it feels like we're starting to turn the corner, so might not be bad to go out to Baylor Ballpark or, uh, yeah, Baylor Ballpark this weekend and uh, check out uh, the Indiana games for Mitch Thompson and company. But, yeah, hopefully they can pick up their first win, and hopefully they're about to start a little bit of a run. But uh, rough 
opening weekend at the Shriners Classic against some pretty big-name programs and 0 for 3. All right, uh, let's get into the mailbag. Is, uh, I think we've touched most of the bases, no pun intended. Useless Kim Degree, does Keenan Hall have any close friends or relatives we can hire to fill our new vacancies? In all seriousness, would you pri- prioritize coaching ability or recruiting ability when trying to fill the spots at O-line and linebacker coaching spots? I mean, I'm definitely prioritizing coaching ability on the offensive line. I mean, I I know that you want someone that can recruit, but I mean, you need someone who can get the job done this year. I I mean, and get it done quickly. Um, So definitely coaching ability on the offensive line. Linebacker, I'm a little more open to recruiting ability. Um, I think Christian Robinson was a good coach. I think he was someone that um, had a bright future coaching linebackers, but I think his biggest kind of the reason why it's a tough loss was because of his recruiting at this point. And so I think you still want to find someone who can recruit, especially if you're going to have Dave Randa helping you with the position. You, you don't necessarily need a elite coach at that spot. Yeah, I, I mostly agree. I just I don't know how much you can really focus on recruiting when you're not really known to even have a job past this year if things don't break well for you if you're Dave Aranda. I mean, I, I, I agree that uh, recruiting's always got to be there at the forefront, but... Man, you know, one and, and recruiting is different now, too. You're not selling guys on four years. You're basically selling them on a year, and then you have to re-recruit them if they have a great year, um, or you can push them out the door in, in theory. But, yeah, I think uh, recruiting's got to always be a priority because who knows? He might be around another five years, so you can't, like, just skip a cycle and be like, all right, let's get back to worrying about recruiting now. But at the same time, man, if you're not winning on the field, it just makes everything else that much harder and that much more uncertain. And so uh, a great recruiter would be good. But, man, who can help win football games? Because that's what they need most of all. And then that translates into being able to go and recruit better and and have a better pitch. Uh, so, yeah, um, I don't know, useless Kim degree. I feel like whoever can help you win football games, that's what I'm worried about. But it would be nice to be able to replicate some Keenan Halls on the recruiting trail and somehow fast forward and and get those guys on campus to come help out right away unfortunately that's not how time works but it'd be nice scotty b the baylor king any other big 12 football coaches on the hot seat this season besides dave aranda Uh, i'd say uh kalani sataki perhaps would be there i mean we can run down because we've got a little bit of time here but satterfield definitely is uh yeah i would say scott satterfield too i just i i only pause because it's only year two and it's also transitioning into the big 12 and so i don't i just don't know cincinnati well enough to know like what their expectations are given all of those variables um but yeah from a just performance standpoint if he has a bad year you would think cincinnati might cut their losses and move on quickly but again i don't know his contract or their plans but uh it was not a great year one that's for sure if he goes one and eight in the big 12 again then they're probably going to be making a change but uh that one's up there kalani sataki at byu if they don't make a bowl game again i think that that would be a very bad sign for him even though he's schedule's tough yeah even though he's got deep ties there like you just can't afford to fall behind um so he would be another one that i would say but beyond that i think everybody else is pretty okay um you've got uh, obviously a new coach at houston willie fritz he's fine tcu with sonny dykes he's fine made the playoff two years ago or made the championship game he's not on a hot seat Mm -hmm. by any means Uh, now if they don't make a bowl game a second year in a row then next offseason we can talk about pressure but right now i don't i don't see that when you just made a national title game two years ago uh, UCF with Malzahn, I mean, they're not going to move on from him. Kansas, no. Tech, no. West Virginia, Neil Brown bought himself a life raft, um, and they've got momentum. So I think he's off of that for right now, unless they just had an abysmal.
abysmal season and just like it went off the rails and then all that goodwill would be lost. But he bought himself some more time. Uh, K-State, no. Iowa State, no. Oklahoma State, no. Arizona's got a brand new coach. Arizona State's got a second-year head coach, so no. And they're, they're both messes, the Arizona schools. Utah, obviously not. And uh, then Colorado, of course not. So yeah, really BYU and Cincinnati are the and only Baylor. ones. And ba- yeah. yeah, besides Baylor, that you're you're looking at uh, with just a quick rundown. Having to remember all the schools that are now in this conference. Thank you, Scotty, Jared Burr. How worried should we be with these losses? I'm most concerned, worried losing Christian. Uh, do you anticipate any fallout losing either one of them from a recruit standpoint? Well, Jared, I don't know how often we've seen your name, so I do appreciate you being a part of the. Mailbag, and uh, whenever you've got something worthwhile, feel free to pass it along. But thanks for the question this week. Yeah, and you know, Jared, this is actually the... I think you're the first person that said you're more worried about losing Christian Robinson than than Coach Cap. So that's an interesting um, opinion there and something that I understand. Like, th- this was a guy who had a tough year last year with the linebackers, and Dave Randa still showed a lot of trust in him by keeping him and, and really, you know putting a lot of faith in him. And so I definitely understand that. I I do think that, you know, losing cap is the bigger loss in my opinion, just mainly because of the the simple fact that he's got to coach five guys on the offensive line who have to have complete trust in him, complete trust in a new system that they're installing on the offensive line. Um, There's just a lot that goes into that when it comes to relationships and just becoming guys who are, better football players, but also good fits for a new scheme. Um, I think that is all really important and something that they're going to be missing. As far as recruiting goes, we mentioned it a little bit earlier. I think that's still a we'll see type thing. I know um, spring ball hasn't started, so maybe guys could transfer, but I think in general, most of the players are probably going to give the new coach a shot through spring ball and then make a decision after spring would be my my guess at this point. Yeah, Um Hopefully that answers your question, Jared. But, uh, yeah, that there's there's a remains to be seen uh, attached to these hires and what kind of fallout there is uh, for sure. So uh, concerns understandable, um, but fallout-wise, we'll, we'll see on that here over the next few days and, and to a lesser extent, uh, weeks. Um, all right, uh, next we've got... B. Creek Ski, what is the status of our O-line coach? He's gone, uh, as we've been talking about throughout the episode so far. So, uh, yeah. What's your favorite memory of the uh, Kapilovich era in uh, in Waco? <laughs> I actually posted this. It was, like I mentioned, my tweet where Michigan State fans just in waves just completely trashed the hiring of him. So that's my best memory. It wasn't much of a memory. I I mean, maybe landing the two transfers, I I don't really know. It's not very memorable. (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe uh, all that bad blood, and I mean, all due respect to him, we interviewed him one time. He seemed like a really nice guy, but hopefully from Baylor's standpoint, that Michigan State fans were right, and he's not that great, and then you somehow got lucky that he didn't end up being the guy here. That's what you can hope at least, but I don't know. He seemed like... Uh, a pretty good coach, and uh, we'll see what he does in Tuscaloosa, obviously. So, B. Kriegsky, uh there is no O-line coach now. Uh, now it's on to a hunt for a new one. C.J. and Texan, list of O-line potential hires. You kind of touched on that a little bit earlier as well. Yeah, I mentioned it. I'll quickly run through it. Uh, Brandon Jones at Missouri, Steve Farmer at Louisiana, Jordan Shoemaker at Texas State, Matt Maddox at UTSA. I even put Mike Bloch at Cal, even though I understand he got the offense coordinator job when Jake Spavitol left. But who knows? Maybe he has a change of heart if you're able to, you know, 
show him a, a good amount of money and a good amount of faith. Um, those are names that I kind of put on my list. Some of those much more realistic than others. Um, and yeah, I, I think those guys kind of make sense for a variety of reasons. So uh, Tim Bear has an interesting response, and I was talking to, uh, I guess it was Smokey and Paul and Garrett about this uh, yesterday. We were bringing this up a little bit, but where does Gary Patterson fall in all of this, especially needing a linebacker's coach and needing to take some pressure off of your shoulders defensively if you're Dave Aranda? Um, because uh, useless Kim Degree asked about Keenan Hall, and then Tim Bear brings up the one to ask um, as far as vacancies or whatever uh, is our head coach Dave Aranda um, at this point make Patterson linebacker coach. So I guess he was responding to, you know, would you prioritize coaching ability, recruiting ability, or whatever, and Tim's saying, well, the one to ask is Dave Aranda, which is, is true. But uh, at this point, making Patterson linebacker's coach, we talked about this yesterday amongst ourselves. Uh, have you given any thought to those possibilities? Is that even realistic that, hey, Gary, you want to coach linebackers? Uh, you want to yeah. help out over here a little bit more than we were already talking about doing? What do you think about that? I mean, so I mentioned some of the guys like Jared Anderson and um, and Glaser as well as guys who could potentially do that. Obviously, Gary Patterson could do this as well. I just my thing with that is I feel like if Gary Patterson was going to be a position coach, he would have just done that at basically any school. There are so many schools that would have hired him to coach linebackers or another position. I just don't know if that's really what he wants to do at this point. I I don't could be wrong on that. It just doesn't seem like, you know, him going from analyst to analyst role tells me that he wants to be on the field coaching again. Um, we'll see, though. Obviously, he could do it. So I would be fi completely fine with that hire. I just don't know if that's really what Patterson wants to do at this point. Mikey, looks like we also lost uh, linebackers coach Robinson right after O-line coach Kevin. Mikey was asking the same uh, about uh, new commits and impacts and signees and all that, and we've touched on that already here. So, Mikey, uh, by the time we've got to this question, you should have heard the uh, the answers you're looking for or best we can do as far as answers go right now with so many uncertainties. Uh, just a bear and frog world, what's your ceiling and floor for the basketball teams in terms of Big 12 and NCAA tournament? Yeah, so my ceiling actually for the men's team, I, I still think that this team, I still think it's Elite Eight. I, you know, I know my, my opinions have changed a little bit. Maybe they could make a run to the Final Four. I just, I still, I need to see them beat Houston. I need to see them beat Kansas. I need to see them win those games um, coming up during this stretch as we turn the page till March. So right now I'll say Elite Eight for the men's. As far as the women's go, Sweet 16. I, I, I don't see them getting past a, a highly rated seed. Shoot, for the men, I just want to see them get to the Sweet 16 at this point. Um, been a couple of years since you got to even those those lengths. So, yeah, Elite Eight would be amazing. Final Four would be awesome. But uh, I, I just want to see them get to the Sweet 16 again. But do you view them – do you think the ceiling is an Elite Eight, though? Like, oh, ceiling, think, yeah. yeah. I mean, ceiling, ceiling I'd say, is probably an Elite Eight. Yeah, I don't think this is a Final Four right. team. No. Um, and – yeah, I'd say ceiling, their very best is probably like an elite eight, yeah. yeah. But I, I'm just, in general, I just would be nice to see them get to the Sweet 16. Mm -hmm. um, and if it ended there, so be it. But, man, going out in the round of 32 again just would be... And that's their floor. They could lose in the round of 32. Yeah, sure. That's their floor, which he asked about. As far as the women's go, I think their floor is losing in the first round. They could absolutely get upset. They've lost to some very questionable teams, and I think their ceiling is Sweet 16. Yeah, the floor for the men should be... Game two of yeah. the tournament, um, but yeah, gosh, uh, for the women, I, I could see them getting bounced. The only thing with the with the the women, I just don't know how deep that 
side is compared to the men where you're worried about like the 16 beating a one. And, you know, I, I just think it's a bit more lopsided, but then again, they're not like a clear cut great team themselves. So yeah, if they're like in the mid seeds, then they could easily run into somebody who's just as good, if not better than them. Uh, so yeah, they could get bounced. Uh, I'd say their floor should be 32 and their ceilings probably, yeah, 16, sweet 16. I don't think that they're much better than that. I don't think they're like an elite eight team uh, right now. So, yeah, I'd say Sweet 16 for both squads should be – the floor for both should be 32. The ceiling for the women is probably Sweet 16, and then the ceiling for the men, I we can at least uh, settle on elite eight uh, for, now. For, for them for now. If yeah. they beat Houston on Saturday, I might change my mind. Yeah, that might make be, me think they can make the final four. That would be a game changer for sure. Uh, let's see – Thank you, just a bear. Uh, Doc Crowell, would Patterson take an on-field position? We just talked about that. I mean, we'll see. I'm sure that's going to at least be talked about uh, in those offices, if not already by the time that we're discussing it. I'm sure that that could very well have already occurred, but not sure what interest level Patterson would have there. How sudden were these changes? Yeah, so I mentioned uh, the coach cap thing kind of happened Sunday night uh, based on what I've heard and then obviously was announced Monday. So pretty, I mean, that's a quick turnaround um, for any of those things. And then the Christian Robinson thing literally happened in hours because Alabama lost their linebacker coach and then immediately turned to Christian Robinson and he accepted the job. So uh, that one much quicker, but both were very, very quick and sudden. Was it just a coincidence that Bama would poach two Baylor coaches? Uh, coincidence, I, I think it was more so that Cap was the offensive line coach they really wanted. And then I think Christian Robinson was more so a guy that wanted to get back to the SEC who fit kind of what Kalen DeBoer was looking for. But I, I think that one had more to do with his SEC ties than him you know, specifically being at Baylor. So, yeah, I do think it was just a coincidence. I saw it mentioned elsewhere that Baylor needs to make a strong technique teaching O-line coach rather than focusing on recruiting. Why is that and who fits that bill? I, we both mentioned it earlier. You have to get an offense line coach who can teach and get this team better. And like, here, here's the deal. They got to get better on the offense line. You have to develop young guys. But again, you're coaching a completely new system for all of these players. So you really got to know how to coach the spread offense for the offensive line and coach inside zone and, and really just do a lot of different things that they weren't asked to do uh, with Eric Mateos and Jeff Grimes. So you need someone who can come into that room and teach very, very well. The recruiting side, I think, will take care of itself. I know you would like to have a guy that can recruit, but on the offensive line, a guy that can coach matters far more, especially for this staff as, you know, if you have a bad offensive line again next year, you know, a lot of these guys probably aren't going to have a job at Baylor. Yeah, I mean, dude, you could go, it's like I, I saw this and I, and I did this when I was younger um, and I've just gotten older and just wiser and more up on game with things. So I used to trumpet the early commits a lot more than I do now. And I understand why we still do it and why, the website does it and all that, but given the current situation, none of this matters if they don't go out and win games this season. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, none of it matters. I mean, you could have five five-stars lined up right now, Grayson. If they go out and like lose to Texas State again, then it doesn't matter um, because that's going to all fall apart for one reason or another. So I understand the focus on recruiting and the future and building, especially when the message all offseason has been, we're so young if it just stays together and – I get all that, but man, you got to go win some freaking football games, man. And if you don't, then it doesn't matter who you got on staff or what 
NIL you've got or, or what have you, the, the recruiting is going to fall apart. So uh, it needs to be a part of the equation for sure. And Dave Aranda can't hire like on a in, like a, on a short term basis. He's got to hire somebody who thinks he can build for what he feels like he's going to be around for, which is like five, ten years or whatever. But the reality of it is that um, you can be the best recruiter in the world, but if that doesn't translate to some wins in 2024, then I don't know you're going to be around long enough to be able to recruit Not worth matter. a dang. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Not so at all. that needs to be the, the top priority. Uh, New Jersey Papa Bear, where's the headline? Two of our coaches go to Alabama. I found out reading a question. Well, I get, it's up there now, Papa Bear. I don't know. It's been up on the – it was up on the website before this question was asked. But, yeah, I, I don't really – post any headline with the BearCast questions, just more so an open thread for people to add questions to it. All right, so uh, Sammy Grace Bear will close us out here, uh, and thanks to everybody who's joined us in the mailbag. Uh, Sammy asking, I've heard rumors on X that our OC and O-line coach are leaving, but no confirmation. Can you clarify? Uh, yes, uh, breaking news. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> there, yeah, are two coaches heading off to Alabama, as we've mentioned a million times. But not times. the OC. But the, not the OC. So, yeah, that was an incorrect rumor. The O-line coach, yes. The linebackers coach, yes. Or I guess, yeah, inside linebackers coach. Yeah, because Caleb Collins is outside. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, inside linebackers, OC, same thing, same difference, right? <laughs> but, no, the uh, OC, Jake Spavital, is still very much in place. Knock, Knock on wood. On yeah, wood. no kidding. And um, he should have a – Hopefully, pretty fun offense this fall. So, yeah, lots of questions about the coaches uh, now on their way to Tuscaloosa. And, of course, because that's uh, just something completely unforeseen. And now it's uh, top priority for Dave Aranda. Yeah, and we we actually have one more question that we kind of just missed going through this. And it's a very important one, Craig, I I think. Uh, Lomer Spurs fan asks, is the Bearcats in any danger of being poached by Alabama? I haven't gotten a call yet from Kalen DeBoer, but, uh, yeah, I think we're – I think we're sticking around Waco, right? Uh, I want to see the NIL dollars. What, are the, what does it look like? What is uh, what car am I driving? Uh, what is my – do I get like a Caleb Williams apartment in downtown L.A. or downtown mm-hmm. Tuscaloosa to look over the skyline? Uh, those those kind of things can add up in a hurry. But, no, uh, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think Bama's got about a billion podcasts uh, from their, their side of the coin. I think they've got plenty of coverage, but – no, uh, we're we're all good over here and with plenty to talk about this spring, no doubt about it, uh, when it comes to this all-important season for Dave Aranda and company. But, yeah, uh, a lot of others could still – I don't know. Is their staff done now? I think it is done at Alabama, right? Finally. So I think everybody can finally sort of breathe a little bit. And I think that maybe there's still some tentacles from Washington. And uh, I don't know where their staff is at this point, but I think it's pretty much all settled down again for the most part. Yeah, Chip Kelly leave UCLA, though, so that was here also recently. So everybody's still kind of watching the dust settle a little bit. But I would think for right now, Baylor's okay. But I could have said that last week and been entirely wrong. So, hey, it's college football in 2024. Let's just see what happens. Yeah, and I mean, Alabama was kind of the the big fish out there that was looking for all these hires, and they were taking forever to get their staff hired. It, it was a really weird situation Then missed on a couple guys. I think the offense line coach ended up at the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, there were just a lot of weird situations because the staff was really good uh, that Kalen DeBoer had there at Washington. But, yes, they are – officially solidified and now really you know Baylor's going to be the team that maybe creates the next domino you know if they go out and take a position coach from uh, a power five school that would be pretty uh, pretty interesting 
Yeah, we'll see if they're able to do that. But uh, all eyes now on Dave Aranda having to make a couple of hires. And just like when he made that linebackers coach hire a year ago and the offensive line coach hire just a couple months ago, we'll be all over that over on Sikkim365.com. So stay tuned in for information as it warrants and updates as it warrants as well. But uh, anything before we go here? No, I, I think that's pretty much it. covered a lot of ground. Uh, obviously, it's going to be really exciting watching Baylor tonight against BYU uh, for basketball and, of course, the Houston game this weekend. So a lot to still watch and be optimistic about for the men's basketball team. And then, of course, next week we'll talk more potentially about the offensive line coach if they're able to hire someone that quickly. Um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll keep you updated. Be sure to check out the premium site if you want more information on the ins and outs of this new kind of coaching hire search as Baylor looks to fill the offensive line and linebacker coach. Groups. Yep, so stay tuned for that and be locked in next Tuesday and every Tuesday moving forward, 11-15 on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 YouTube page. Uh, please hit like and subscribe. We'd appreciate that. Same goes for the 365 Sports YouTube page. If you visit us and follow us along there, weekdays from 3 until 6. And uh, besides that, uh, just... I guess uh, be by your phone for text update whenever a hire is made, but uh, who knows what that time frame looks like. Uh, just still kind of reeling, I think, a little bit from the surprise yesterday, but uh, obviously cannot uh, sit on your hands if you're Dave Aranda. You have to move quickly, and so we expect that he will. So we'll be following that along with all other stories going on, but until next time, appreciate you listening. Appreciate those of you who uh, threw some questions in the mailbag as well, and uh, thank you to Garrett Ross behind the scenes for Garrett uh, for. Garrett and Grayson Grunhafer, I'm Craig Smoke, and this has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.